Welcome to the Quillette Podcast. My name is Claire Lehman and I am Editor-in-Chief of Quillette. Quillette is where free thought lives. We are an independent grassroots platform for heterodox ideas and fearless commentary. Our podcast is a team effort and is jointly hosted by myself, Associate Editor Toby Young and Canadian Editor Jonathan Kay. You can support our podcast by visiting patreon.com forward slash Quillette and becoming a monthly patron. By becoming a monthly patron, you'll also receive our weekly newsletter. Welcome to the Quillette Podcast. I'm Jonathan Kay. In terms of population, Portland, Oregon is merely the 25th biggest city in the United States, around the same size as El Paso, Texas, and Oklahoma City. Yet despite that, Portland has assumed a prominent place in the modern American imagination, in part thanks to the television comedy show Portlandia, but also the endless fawning articles about Portland that have appeared in the New York Times. Perhaps more than any other American city, Portland exists as a symbol, some might say caricature, of the American city as hipster cultural colony. But now, Portland is facing a reckoning. In recent years, the city too often has been the site of street violence involving radical groups, such as Antifa, whose supporters recently were caught on video beating up Quillette editor Andy Nigo. A rise in real estate prices has made the city unaffordable for many longtime families and businesses. And as Portland writer Nancy Rommelman wrote in a lengthy article for Tablet Magazine last week, the city's once-tolerant live-and-let-live culture has been replaced in some quarters by an aggressive strain of progressive orthodoxy. So much so, in fact, that Rommelman herself has decided to leave Portland for her native New York. Our regular Quillette readers might recognize Miss Rommelman's name. A few months back, she wrote an article for us called The Internet Locusts Descend on Ristretto Roasters, about how a former employee of her husband's coffee shop was able to incite a web mob that almost drove him out of business. On Monday, I spoke to Rommelman over the phone about what happened to Portland, about what she'll miss about the city, and about what she won't. Here are excerpts from that conversation. Before I ask you about your tablet magazine article, I think a lot of our listeners would appreciate an update about something that happened in Portland and that involved you and your husband uh, earlier this year. You wrote about it for Quillette. You guys own some cafes in Portland, and there was this crazy incident where a former employee went online and perhaps without meaning to incited a mob against your cafe on a pretty thin pretext. Could you talk a little bit about what's happened in the months since then? Sure. So um, my husband, yes, uh, is a coffee roaster and at the time had four cafes, Ristretto Roasters here in Portland, Oregon. And the former employee who I think had left the previous October and had had a pretty high position, um, she didn't just go online. She sent a letter to the press saying that my, uh, a show called Hashtag Me Neither, where we talked about a bunch of things, she, she felt it was dangerous to the employees and was pretty pointed about it. I appreciate that you said unintentionally created the situation. I think it was pretty intentional and it sure did have a big bang effect. Just to step back, give listeners uh, some background. This is a an online show called Me Neither, completely unaffiliated with the cafe. Right. But it's something you participated in as a media project. Right. While it's your husband who takes a more active role in the management of the cafe. 
Well, yeah, he's the owner. I don't own it at all. I used to work um, with the company years ago, but haven't in a couple of years. I had a book come out and I just don't really do anything except go in and say, have coffee and say, hey. So it really caused a conflagration here in Portland with the press, which was just crushing to my husband who, you know, run this business for 15 years, spotless reputation, really beloved, really got turned on very viciously and continually. A lot of employees left, actually almost all of them, but you asked for an update. So the update is, the good news is there's a whole new staff and people are happy and calm. And it's just something that Din, my husband, has done his best to put in the background. And, you know, you run a small business, you just got to get up every day and run it. And, and that's what he's doing. I used to work at McDonald's, I guess it was almost 30 years ago. And when you got hired on for a quick service food industry job back then, it was like, are you going to show up on time? How's your hygiene? Do you have the basic dexterity to flip hamburgers and make coffee? I'm trying to imagine what it's like when you're hiring food service workers in a place like Portland. From the sounds of it, there's a lot of people who are one uncomfortable incident away from going online and causing a huge controversy for their employer. Is that something you can interview for? Well, I never did any of the interviewing for the hiring, and I will just uh, make kind of one update there. Um, the manager, who had been <laughs> the person who had done the hiring previously, the one that started the online campaign, and my husband did the hiring, and they're really not entry-level people at all. They have to be pretty darn skilled at what they do. I think it is a personality thing. I don't know that you can ask the question, but I do know that um, after all this happened, my husband took over doing all the interviewing and, and he, he hired people that he felt were more, more in line with his thinking, like, let's be friendly. Let's not be political. Let's make it a comfortable place for people and talk about coffee. And so that's the new crew. And that's really worked out. But I, I think you're right. Hey, it's not just in Portland. You can go online and, and be grouchy or lodge your complaints and that stuff can catch fire pretty quick. I don't know how you hire um, for or against that. Uh, just try to use your judgment and your gut, I guess. <laughs> So let's talk about your your new article for Tablet, which isn't about one incident. It's about Portland, the city, yeah. which you have grown to, to in many ways love, but now you're leaving it. We'll talk about that in a little bit. I think there's a lot of people who are listening who have never been to Portland, who have read some of the gushing articles about how great Portland is in the New York Times and, and other East Coast media, uh, and of course have seen the show Portlandia. Right. A lot of the great, cute things about Portland, in the article, you acknowledge that they really exist. Tell us about the great side of Portland before we talk about maybe the darker side. Well, when we came here in 2004, I mean, for me, it was always a bit of a small city. I'm a New York City girl, and we came from L.A. I I always found it a little bit small, but it also had like its own sort of legit, quirky charms. People just doing things in weird ways that was cool. You had people trying to make like the best new kind of ice cream, doing it a different way. You had, um, it was sort of vibrant and it was growing. You could feel that it was on the upswing. And you, you described in your article, I can't even picture it. Some, some guys would weld two bikes together. And how does that work? Yeah. Well, I can't say they were exactly like the the, the cleanliest of people, but they, yeah, they take it and they weld two bike frames together so that the seat is kind of jacked double high. So, you know, I get to Portland, I'm driving around in my car and these dudes in top hats are like flying around the streets. It was just- Sorry, they're wearing, <laughs> they're wearing top hats? 
Yeah, they were kind of like these anarchist clowns. It was kind of fun. And then, you know, we got here and it was very, very, everybody was from Portland. And then all of a sudden you saw people coming from Europe and people coming from New York and people coming from, from LA. And you really got the sense that, wow, this could be an interesting incubator because it's it's pretty beautiful up here. I mean, it's small, but it, it's beautiful. But then things started to turn, I'd say around 2011. It just started to get, there started to be sort of more intolerance for all of these new people coming and all of these new things happening. People want to change, but they want to change their way. I started to get less interested in Portland, but I was here at my house and my husband, I was writing a book about Portland or about a crime that had happened in Portland. But then a couple of years ago, I said to my husband, I was like, I got to get out of here. I'm moving back to New York. It's just, I just don't like the way it feels here anymore. Now, when you say intolerant, you don't mean that people hate blacks or they hate Jews or no. can you describe what you mean by intolerant? Sure. Okay. So I'll give you an example. You know, after Trump won the election and after Charlottesville, and it was really a rough time, I think, for the country. The country was really trying to figure out where we were going. These signs went up in like almost every business. And it was like, we support you. You are welcome here. You know, all colors, all creeds, all sexes. And well, yeah, that should be automatic that we do that. But the fact was that people really weren't welcoming of that. Like, for instance, when I talk, we, we had um, someone walk into the cafe and, and we got an email from the employee saying, these three white guys walked in and I felt threatened. And I'm like, why? Why would you feel threatened? But she did. Um, or the, you know, I mentioned in the, the article about someone coming in with a MAGA cap. And, you know, a MAGA stands for Make America Great Again. It's the red hat that is sort of stereotypically associated with rah-rah Trump fans. Believe me, I am no fan of Donald Trump. And I've heard this from more than one small business owner. Like they've had their employees saying, do I need to serve this person? And it's like, what are you talking about? Yes, it's a customer. You need to serve him or her. But that that hasn't really been the sense. But more than that, um, I, I contribute sometimes to Reason Magazine. And I went to a city council meeting here in February where um, unanimously a resolution was passed to ban alt-right and hate groups. And the reason I went to the city council meeting to cover it for Reason was because I received a, a copy of the resolution. You know, it's like 17 point resolution, you know, we will not tolerate this. We will not have hate. We, But nowhere in the resolution did it say who was going to be identifying these groups or when or why. It was just completely hazy. And you had a few people at the meeting saying, well, you know, what happens when the winds change, when you guys are no longer in power and someone else comes in and says, well, I know this used to be the hated group, but now we're going to hate these other people. And how are you going to protect people's right to free speech? It was kind of a disaster and it passed unanimously. And, you know, if you've been following what's been going on in the streets of Portland, they are just fighting in the streets, literally fighting in the streets. A lot of people listening to this will be familiar with some of the the more notorious incidents involving Antifa, especially the beating up of Andy Ngo, who's a Portland-based journalist, who's an editor for Quillette. But in your article, you mentioned that there are also legitimately extremist right-wing groups. Absolutely. Could you explain why, why Portland, as well as being a hub for very progressive people, also, I think to this day, continues to attract a few people on the opposite side of the spectrum. 
Portland has a really shameful history, which I, I think I may have written a little bit about in the Colette piece of um, of real racial intolerance. Uh, it was like until whatever year it was like a whites only state. Um, there was redlining, like really, really egregious redlining. Not a good history. Um, I mean, Oregon and Idaho, uh, really large um, white, I don't know, white supremacist, white groups, just really not good folks um, or the ones that you'd want to be setting any sort of policy. The ones that are in Portland now that seem to be getting people very, very riled up are the Proud Boys, um, which I really can't speak deeply about, but I know they definitely are considered alt-right here in Portland. And uh, Patriot Prayer, which is more of a local group. When Antifa says that they're opposing right-wing extremism, it's not completely in their imagination. No. There are real right-wing groups. And there has been, there have been, I think, a few notorious and truly horrific hate crimes in Portland. The one really absolutely terrible um, hate crime that happened was back in 2017 aboard the light rail train. Someone who identified as a white supremacist, who also was deeply mentally ill, had a history of mental illness. He uh, he stabbed two men to death and, and almost another man to death who came to the aid of two girls on the train, two teenagers. I believe they were teenagers. One was black and one was in a hijab. And um, he was shouting, you know, against Muslims or I, I wasn't on the train. I don't know. But I mean, it was horrific and it was in full view. Portland definitely does need to fight that. I think they also, if they're going to be putting laws on their books, saying we're banning all hate groups, they have to explain how they're going to identify them. Of course, everybody wants to put an end to hate. Yes. But the idea of vesting any level of government with the power to unilaterally define what hate means according to the news cycle, that's pretty scary. It is, because what happens when this particular city council is voted out? Let's say, you know, God forbid, you get some completely like right-wing hate groups that now form the city council. And they decide, well, you know what? You're a hate group. One of the interesting things about Portland is just how quickly some of these changes have occurred. So the current mayor, as I understand, is very progressive. But you also talk a little bit about a previous mayor who I think got caught in some kind of sex scandal with a teenager and had a fender bender in a parking lot with his pants down. And yeah. Well, tell us a little bit about that guy, because yeah. he actually seems a lot more interesting than the current guy. So Sam Adams had been the assistant to, I think it was Vera Katz, who was a previous mayor. He was elected. Young guy, kind of goofy, who, yeah, he was elected despite his running against another candidate who said, you know, both candidates were gay. He was, the other candidate said, well, you know, he had a sexual relationship with a, a campaign aide or an intern at the time. And, and Sam Adams like, I can't believe you would level that sort of slur at me. Okay. He gets elected. He flies off to Obama's inauguration. I was actually on a story in Rochester at the time watching the inauguration and watching Sam Adams basically having to march to an airplane to face the music. Because, yeah, he had had a sexual relationship with a 17-year-old intern with the made-to-order name of Bo Breedlove. But you know what? The city, well, yes, there were definitely parts of the city. I think they, they wanted to do a bit of a recall. Most of the city was just like, okay, whatever, live and let live. He's our mayor. He's not perfect. Then he had some other, yeah, fender bender. His pants were around his ankle. I, I mean, he was kind of a goofball also, and he didn't do very much, and he also didn't run for re-election. Our current mayor, I got to say, I feel for the guy, Ted Wheeler, because, yes, he has pretty progressive ideals. He tried to 
back in November passed a resolution where he would decide who could publicly protest and that got shot down as unconstitutional. He ordered the police not to uh, mess with the demonstrators who were camped out around the ICE headquarters here last year. ICE, that's the uh, border enforcement uh, official. Correct. Um, so he's, you know, he's got something. He's also like the, the police commissioner because it's a dual job. And he's he's really created some rifts within the city. But now, as I, I, I put it somewhere the other day, you know, the progressive faction, which is pretty large and obviously very vocal, they kind of smell blood and they're like, cool, he's on our side. Now we are going to push and push and push. And I don't really know that Ted Wheeler is interested in pushing what they're making him push, but he's in a corner now because the police are fighting him. The people that are kind of less progressive are fighting him. The progressives are just at his throat, including people on the city council. He has painted himself into a corner. I do not know what is going to happen here. I, I really don't. The dynamic that's unfolded, and this isn't a huge focus of your article, but it's it's a background to the article, is that what seems to happen periodically is that there will be a group like the Proud Boys or Patriot Prayer, and they'll, they'll say, we're going to have this event in downtown Portland, and a few dozen or a few hundred of them show up. Uh, Antifa shows up and says, we have to take back the streets, the revolution is upon us. Uh, and then they go out, and there's some scuffling between the two groups, but lately, at least, it seems like Antifa has been the more out-of-control group. And, of course, they, they completely crossed the line when they beat up uh, Andy Ngo. And then you have the police who are, in some cases, kind of just they don't know what to do because they're on political orders not to interfere. But have things now changed because of what happened with Andy? Because I know that I think the police union tweeted like, this is ridiculous. You're tying our hands. We want to protect the city, but you won't let us. Is there a, a, any sort of political transformation happening because of these events? I know that that was tweeted, and I also don't know, and forgive me for not knowing, how much their hands are tied. It's not that they can never intervene. I mean, if someone is getting pummeled in the in the streets, they're supposed to intervene. I just, I actually don't know if they were, if Andy No was in sight of them when, when what happened happened to him. But they have gone up against the mayor saying, you've told us to stand down, you know, in cases that are not extreme, and we, we just don't feel we can do this anymore. And And the press has been for the most part, not not all of the press, but but some of the local press has been very, very, very critical of the police in general, which I guess is, look, this has been happening since when? Since the 1950s? And, and very supportive of the mayor. But, but now the mayor's got a lot of like national heat on him. I don't really agree with this whole idea that he needs to be removed, but I think he does have to make some solid decisions I want to talk a little bit about where Portland fits in with other cities, because thumbnail version of it is that you have this wonderful, quirky city that has some sharp edges. And just over time, the sharp edges have taken over daily life. And it's one of the reasons you're leaving. To a certain extent, it sounds a little bit like what happened to Vancouver in recent years, um, a city that's even more expensive. And also from a Canadian perspective, it was once seen as like this goofy city where folks from Toronto and Montreal, you know, they'd head west and spend a couple of years playing hacky sack on yeah. the street before, <laughs> before getting jobs. But the politics in Vancouver also have become like very shrill on a number of issues. I don't know if you've systematically looked at other cities in, in the Western world, how this kind of transformation takes place, or if there are, are factors that you would look at that you've seen, for instance, economic factors, like maybe people are coming there expecting one thing and they can't buy a house. Is, is it thwarted economic hopes? Is that part of it that makes local politics so 
so unpleasant these days? Well, that's interesting because I do mention in the piece that, you know, the 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 economics changed pretty radically here in Portland. Um, when I first moved here and we bought a house, we were told we were the problem. We were the people, you know, coming from California that now people couldn't buy a house for $50,000. Okay. But you know what? The world continues to turn. As I Sorry, my- did you say 50, people had been buying houses for $50,000? Oh, yeah. Wow. Oh, yeah. And less. I did an article called... Um, there goes the neighborhood race, real estate, and gentrification on my block in 2007, and I interviewed the people, the six, my six closest neighbors, and the woman across from me had bought her house for $17,000, and it's like a five-bedroom. You know, it was Portland had been a small city. Um, when we came up here to look at houses, I mean, we saw 20 houses between two and three hundred thousand dollars that were just, you know, in in LA they would have been a couple million dollars, um, but that changed. So then what happens? People come in, rents get driven up, real estate goes up. People get angry. The culture changes a little bit. You get uh, more businesses saying, great, I want to come because I, I, I smell opportunity. R- commercial rents go up. People start going out of business because they can't make it anymore. If you walk through the downtown, like central downtown corridor right now, which I did last week, I'm not kidding when I say between 15 and 20% of the businesses are closed. Because your question was, you know, how does this happen to a city? I think people go to a city because they for opportunity and because they think that they can live their ideals at the time. And for young people, that is maybe a sense of justice, a sense of affordability, a sense of people like them. And, you know, if they can make that work and make the economy rev, then maybe it will happen. But what you said we've seen in Vancouver, what we've seen in Portland, um, what people say to a certain extent you're seeing in Austin, but Austin is in Texas and you've got a big, you know, it's Texas, man. It ain't ever going to become Portland. There's some of this in Brooklyn, where I'm from, but New York is so gigantic with so many people that, you know, it's never going to go all that way because there's too many people doing other interesting things. I'm looking here at the Case-Shiller Home Price Index for Portland. It rose, uh, as did real estate in almost all parts of the United States, leading up to 2007, 2008. And then, of course, there was a crash. Sure. Uh, and then it hit a low point again in 2011. And then it spiked up again. Uh, and I, I guess it's it's still pretty high. Uh, so you had you had two housing bubbles, one which burst, and I guess one which hasn't yet. Did the housing crash in between? Did, did that play some role? I'm, did people in Portland lose their housing fortunes the way they did in other cities? Yes, they did. I know that happened because I know it happened to us, but it, it went back up. I, I can tell you, I wrote an article, I think it was in 2010, called, Is Portland the New, the New Neverland? Interviewing young people who had come here, expecting that they were going to be able to, they, they'd heard they could get an affordable house. They heard that there were going to be people like them. It was going to be green. It was going to be progressive. And they found they couldn't do it. And they were, they were legit upset about that. And I know at least, I interviewed three people, six people, I know three of them left. They just left and, and went for greener pastures. Has this sort of thing happened in Seattle, which is, I guess, a couple of hours to the north? Uh, Seattle is, I think, a bigger city, but uh, are there analogous trends there? I'm sure there are, but you also have, um, you've got, you know, you've got a lot of tech money up there and they're, they're dominating now. Uh, people I know are pissed about that. They want, you know, Amazon to pay its fair share. I don't know the details about that, but, you know, there's a wonderful writer, um, Katie Herzog, uh, who is on staff at The Stranger. Just, we love Katie. Yeah, one of the best journalists around these days. And 
And and she retweeted my article last week saying, you know, I lived in Portland 2007, 2008, and I would not live there again because of this. So she's in Seattle. So I guess the climate's a little different up there. If you go south from Portland, there is a place called Eugene. And I've never been there, but I remember, I guess it was 20 years ago, and there were all these protests against the World Trade Organization and the IMF. And a lot of the articles traced their philosophy and their organizing principles to this tiny place called Eugene. Is that old school protest culture a factor here or has that died out? Well, I just spent the weekend in Eugene, as a matter of fact. So uh, Eugene is where the University of Oregon is, and that's a pretty big school. I wasn't here then, so I don't know, but I'm going to guess because you had this massive youth population. Maybe that's maybe that was the seat of, of the birth of some of this. Do they still have these kind of like protest communes there? You know, not that I know of. There's a lot of old hippies there, I can tell you that. <laughs> Um, you know where we really have some super, super, super loud people are at Reed College. There's been some real real troubles at Reed um, with students not wanting uh, um, teachers to teach um, and disrupting classes. We've had that at Portland State as well. Um, and, you know, you even have some students standing up and saying, can, I, can we please just learn? Can we please just listen to the lecture? In Portland, it strikes me that it's a small enough city that you can get demographic bulges that appear quite suddenly. Is it the case that you have just the sudden appearance of a lot of people of a particular political mindset and a particular age that just their sudden appearance destabilizes the system, not just in terms of real estate, but just in terms of, of philosophy? Okay, I, I think so, but I'm going to qualify that by saying that you know, I've read statistics that say maybe between six and nine percent of people that can be considered, you know, very loud and progressive and unhappy with the way things are, to six to nine percent. That's not really a lot. However, we definitely, definitely did have a big, giant influx of um, young, mostly white, educated, progressive folks come around like 2010. And you know, <laughs> it's funny because I'm a New York City born and bred liberal, okay? And so to say progressive like it's pejorative, I can't believe that's really coming out of my mouth, but the meanings have changed, as has the meaning of liberal. But you definitely had a stripe of folks here. They were young, they were energetic, and they wanted change that was going to, they felt were gonna benefit everybody. I don't think it's really working out that way. There just seems to be a lot of fear of the other. And that's what I've really talked about in both of my pieces that we've referred to. It's like, don't be afraid of the guy in the MAGA cap, right? And and you're absolutely right. You know, New York City, every day you're on the train, you're with people speaking 19 languages and 15 colors, and you're talking and you're talking to the dry cleaner and the guy at the bagel store. And like, you're having a conversation and you're not afraid to have these conversations. So tell me about your new life. You're going to New York? I'm going to New York. Yes, I'm leaving within the month. I'm going to be doing some journalism there, keeping certain things under wraps. But let me just say, I'm, I'm super happy to be going back. I love the idea that you're basically saying, I've had it with these radical leftists. I'm moving to New York That's City. That's right. 
(laughs) traditional values are honored. (laughs) They're my traditional values, you know, to me, New York City is home. But as I said, and and truly, I was ready, I was ready to go. I've been spending about three months a year there for the past two years. And, and late last year, I was just like, you know what, I and media is there, you just, oh, gosh, you have like no media here at all. And uh, I want to be with my peeps back there. Your article has been out for a few days now. This is your new article in Tablet Magazine. Yeah. Uh, have you received responses, uh, good or bad, from other people who live in Portland? Mostly really good. Um, I mean, I, I was looking I was looking something up uh, in Google with my article, and I, I, did, I think I came across a Reddit thread, which I did not open something like, you know, don't let the door hit you in the ass, Nancy Rommelman. But mostly it's been really good. It's been people that are living here and saying, yeah, this is going on, and I hate it. Like I tweeted out, my only criticism of your article and tablet was that you didn't write it for me at Quillette. Oh. Uh, I'm going to forgive you for that. Uh, if people want to get in touch with you or surf your content, aside from looking you up at Quillette, uh, where where can they find your stuff? Uh, I'm on Twitter at Nancy Rom, N-A-N-C-Y-R-O-M-M. Uh, and that's also my website, nancyrom.com. And if they want to buy some coffee, they can go to rrpdx.com. Good luck with your move. Thank you. And I hope you enjoy getting reacquainted with New York City. Thanks so much, Don. Appreciate it. If you would like to support Quillette, please consider becoming a patron. Head to our Patreon page. That's patreon.com forward slash Quillette. If you haven't already, follow us on social media. We're on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Do you like what you're hearing? Perhaps you would like to read more about the issues in today's discussion. Head to Quillette.com where you will find more content.